Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Hello, I'm Kate Trotter and welcome to the latest episode from the Retail Exchange Podcast. Here's what's coming up in this episode. We are opportunistic. Our whole strategy is around, you know, trying things, seeing if that's what the market wants. And if it doesn't, we move on. If it does, we might put more out there or modify it slightly. But, you know, we certainly don't assume that that's the winning formula forever. When you hear the CIO of one of the UK's leading retailers say, we just wanted a tactical solution that was just good enough to get us up and running. That's one of the big differences between an agile culture and a traditional kind of waterfall, uh, build it best of breed, but it's always going to be late type approach. We as a business do a lot of right to left planning. Um, you know, when we do take on the acquisitions, we've invariably got a date that's been given to us that isn't our own. So you do have to become creative and, and innovative in how you're going to respond to that without even badging it as, hang on everybody, I am currently being an innovative CIO, make sure that goes under the innovation bucket. Be it online or on the high street, the retail industry has changed as a result of the pandemic. It's certainly been a year of hyperspeed development in the world of e-commerce. As global shoppers were forced to go from streets and shopping centres to online, 49% are shopping online more than they did before the pandemic, online retailers have had to work hard to meet increases in demand and evolving customer expectations. The resulting turbulence presented countless challenges for those working in online retail and forced everyone to up their game. It also raises a big question, what's next for online shopping? And what will need to be the thinking and solutions to adapt and thrive in the new e-commerce landscape? In this episode of the Retail Exchange podcast, I'm joined by Joe Graham, CIO of online fashion retailer Boohoo, and Bradley Howard, Regional VP Industry Acceleration within Dava, the Digital Transformation Consulting and Software Development Specialist. Joe Bradley, thank you so much for joining me today. Joe, can you tell me a little bit about how Boohoo sees itself? Obviously, in some ways you're a retailer, in some ways you have this incredibly advanced tech platform. Do you see yourself more as a retailer or a tech platform? Uh, we we are a retailer. We are um, pure play retailer first, um, and technology is it, for me is all about enabling the business. So technology does not exist in and of itself. It purely exists to support the business. What I tend to do when I'm approaching how we do that is is to spot where the business is going and or spot the challenges within tech that might hamper the business in being opportunistic. So it's all about IT not being on the critical path and making sure that we don't hamstring the business in any way, shape, form. But we would definitely describe ourselves as retail first. Yeah, and Bradley, do you think that Indava have clients who also view themselves in this way or do they have a different view about how they're doing business? I just don't think we see a difference between technology companies and businesses in any sector. Um, All businesses are technology enabled, um, even if it's They've only got an email address, for example. Um, We tend to call digital transformation projects digital evolution because of exactly that fact that 
all businesses have got some sort of technology estate at some point, and it's a case of how do they then use that for growing the business, for um, for making the business more efficient, and, and what have you as well. So customer first, business first, and then technology. Absolutely. And Joe, can you comment on the last 14, 15 months from Boohoo's perspective? Are there any things you're particularly proud of, any aspects of your team or your tech setup that have really made you roll with the punches? We just cracked on. We didn't stop a project. We delivered more. We we brought on two brands last year um, and, and we, we just got on with it. So, so we just... You know, and I, and I think from a um, a CIO perspective, you know, I, I delivered my BCP, and you know, technology supported where where it needed to, and we cracked on with all the projects that were on the portfolio. We, you know, we as a as a group, we delivered ninety projects last year, and you know, nothing stopped because of COVID. You know, it, it's it's something that we just responded to, and the business was busier than ever. Um, clearly big focus on the kind of online shopping and the kind of garments that we sell in terms of jersey loungewear and casuals so so we we had to have it where it needed to be so that the business could function in in what was at times you know peak trading volumes so we absolutely had to make sure that we had the business supported and that they could do their jobs in what was effectively black friday conditions Right, so almost a year of Black Friday. Not quite a year, but certainly some peaks in there as a consequence of um, people migrating to online shopping. Yeah. And do you think there are any parts of Boohoo's DNA that really enabled it to adapt so quickly and think so creatively about how to solve these problems? A hundred percent. That is what we do. We're entrepreneurial. We're very agile. You know, we have a startup mentality. Um, we're very can-do. We're very dynamic. We're very opportunistic. You know, that is the Boohoo DNA. It's all about test and repeat, and you know that whole kind of freedom to fail, try it, try it, try it. So that kind of market environment, ways of working, absolutely play to our our strengths really. We're not bureaucratic. We don't let governance get in the way. We do what's necessary, but we don't do too much. Um, and and as a consequence, that helped enormously. So, you know, we we haven't had to alter our ways of working. If anything, we've been able to successfully amplify how we work in IT to support the business even more. And Bradley. Can you comment on how the last 14, 15 months have revealed the need for agility and responsiveness in business and in retail? Well, um, it's a bit of a cliche now, but all businesses have had to evolve very, very quickly. Uh, It's all about customer expectations. So businesses are having to find parity with some of the leading vendors in different spaces as well. It might not necessarily be in their industry. And, and the example I often like to give on this is is a company like Facebook. So Facebook have got, what is it, two, two and a half billion users. Um, there's no manual on how to use Facebook. It's completely intuitive. They do regular updates. In fact, I checked this morning and they're on version 319 on, on their Android app. They update their Android app pretty much every week. Um, and that shows how you can have that many users, that much revenue, and still constantly update your your technology estate. And other businesses have had to adapt like that during the, the pandemic. 
And, you know, obviously, I don't want to gloss over the pandemic and it's been terrible on a health um, side. But in terms of business, um, there are some businesses like Boohoo that have looked at some opportunities that have been available in the industry. And we, we've seen lots of M&A in, in lots of different industries in there as well. Uh, the, the challenge has been some of the leading CIOs like Joe about how they then integrated some of those M&A very quickly and, and seen an opportunity to do that a bit more kind of tactically rather than a long-term project uh, for data ingestion. And it, it's been a bit of a challenge on, on that side, working with some of the leading companies in other industries that have done things historically slowly, methodically, made sure they've come up with a Rolls-Royce solution each time. And other businesses have become a bit more fleet of foot and done just enough to get through the recession. Mm. So, Bradley, have you seen a big cultural change in some of your other clients during this period? Absolutely. So, I, I work across two different industries. I work on retail and really enjoy that. Um, retail is kind of in my blood. My grandfather started a, a very successful DIY shop after World War II, and that's been in the family for a long time. I also work in the insurance industry, uh, and insurance has gone through a massive transformation. You know, as soon as the pandemic hit, there were underwriters um, leaving folders of paper forms outside each other's homes within the first few weeks, and they've had to digitize things which they always said could never be digitized, never be digitized. Uh, they've had to digitize those very quickly. Um, and we've seen the same in retail. There's been an explosion of using AI, comes back to data again, trying to maximize those insights and, and how to make businesses more efficient during the pandemic. And Joe, obviously, you've had a really rich and interesting career. You've, um, before Boohoo, you were at Morrison's, I believe, and also at Booper. I was. And you've been working in IT in the banking sector as well. Can you talk about some of your work there and how the culture in some of those organisations was different to the culture of Boohoo? So in Lloyd's Banking Group, so I, I was at HBOS and then I moved to Lloyd's Banking Group um, and I looked after all the 24-7 channels. Um, it's a bank, so you do have a degree of governance and compliance around what you're doing. So, so for example, when you're doing an upgrade to, say, your ATM system or when we were doing a migration, sort of the Bank of Scotland, Halifax or the Lloyd's piece, you obviously have to take your ATM network down. That is something that the FCA are quite interested in. And you tend, we used to get a window of, of maintenance that we almost had to notify them we'd be taking the ATM network down and you were under pressure to complete what you needed to do within the maintenance window that you'd notified them of. So, so quite a lot of governance and rigor around your, your implementations generally and quite interesting in terms of compliance and governance and structure and you know you've got the banking code of conduct you've got a whole raft of things that you you need to get right and it's people's money so you know big big focus on testing and you know nothing goes live until it's absolutely been tested you know there's no real concept in banking of fix forward because of the the nature of, of what you're doing um, and I always looked after the 24 7 
channels. So I had ATMs, I had debit credit cards, I had share dealing, which obviously isn't 24-7, but it was the same setup predominantly as the online banking, which I also looked after. So again, heightened channel, heightened availability, and you can't get it wrong. And of, of course, big, big focus on IT security. Moving to Booper, quite different again. My role there was um, infrastructure. So again, again, quite high availability focus, but for completely different reasons, because it's very much got that human element um, with it. And, and you know, Booper as an organisation and culturally um, far softer culture, I would say, than, than the banks um, in, in terms of who their customer base is and, and how they service them. Very, very different. Um, Morrison's different again. Um, my first foray into retail, fast-moving consumer goods. So again, all about availability, but in a different way, availability of goods on shelves and making sure the POS system's up and running so you can service customers. But yeah, the availability there is more around your, your pints of milk on the shelf rather than the IT systems. But obviously the IT systems underpin that whole um, stock, stock fulfillment and making sure that gaps on the shelves are understood and making sure that that whole end-to-end piece around ordering stock availability and then ultimately how you service the customer at the point of sale is is well and truly on form uh, and there for the customer. Um, big, big customer focus in Morrison's, as you can imagine, and, you know, amazing organisation to have been part of. And when you're saying that Boohoo has no fear of failure, do you think that too many traditional retailers fear failure at the moment and do you think they're being hampered by that? I can't speak for other retailers because I'm obviously not in the thick of their businesses but I would suggest from the outside looking in I think there's an element of them not deviate it's that it's that Einstein definition of insanity isn't it thinking that if you do the same thing over and over again you're going to get a different result and guess what you rarely do so so there's an element I think of the retailers are, are sticking to the formulas that have probably served them well in the past but aren't necessarily where they need to be today especially against the backdrop of a global pandemic and um, what we do in Boohoo is we are opportunistic and we will try things and you know and whilst we we, we don't want to fail and, and we, we certainly do our damnedest to make sure we don't fail. You know, we will try things and that's where that whole test and repeat culture comes in. You know, our whole strategy is around trying things, seeing if that's what the market wants and if it doesn't, we move on. If it does, we might put more out there or modify it slightly. But, you know, we, we, we certainly don't assume that that's the winning formula forever um, and we will keep changing what we do and we do tap into trends um, just by nature of that whole pure play fashion piece um, you know fashion itself is 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 extremely fickle and extremely fast moving in terms of you know what everyone's wearing today or following their stars or the influencers will absolutely change tomorrow and I think we probably do reflect that in our culture and our mode of operating. Mm. Bradley what do you think about this? Do you think that too many traditional retailers fear failure and do you think they're being hampered by that? Well uh, building on what Joe said, what we see in the leading retailers at the moment is that someone can stand up and say, we tried this, it didn't quite work out, but this is what we learned from it. And then that's fine. That's completely fine because you've shown what is an opportunity and um, and are going to improve that for next time. As opposed to some other companies where 
you'll either get demoted, fired, sidelined, etc., for trying something that doesn't quite work out first time. And it comes back to the, the Facebook constant upgrades and constant evolution. By constantly trying, you gather that data and you learn how to improve on those customer expectations. Joe, talking about failure, are you able to comment on some of the things that have brought the greatest learnings to you and your team? So there's a few bits. I wouldn't describe them as failures. I would probably pick up on Bradley's comment around evolution, actually. So Debenhams has been interesting for us. And Debenhams, as, as you know, big beauty business as well as well as clothing and, and footwear and accessories. And one of the things when we took Debenhams on, we as a team hadn't fully appreciated some of the nuances of the beauty business. For example, the beauty houses only communicate with you via electronic data interchange which um for, for those it, this is this is even older than I am um you know that those kind of systems go back to the early 70s EDI as, as a way of communicating B2B is you know very strict formatted messages and the beauty houses all expect that and we did not anticipate you know that the, the Debenhams acquisition would bring with it like leg, legacy technology that is still very much used in a whole host of businesses as a standard way of communicating communicating so again we, you know we've not necessarily had failures as such but we have to very very quickly learn about certain things and work out what on earth we're going to do to make sure we satisfy the beauty houses who are you know very strict in the way they like to communicate in the way they like to operate and quite traditional in you know how they want to work as businesses so so you know that that was quite an interesting one you know the, the conversation with the guys around really we've got to look at some 1970s yeah. technology in order to um, to make this work um so yeah so 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 that's been quite interesting and i think um you know it, you do have to evolve and think and turn what might be a delay into a right how do we get around this and you know will that will the beauty houses tolerate a certain way of operating while we put a new system in etc so so yeah that that's been um quite quite an interesting learning curve and i think that is definitely on that evolution and right okay step back what do we do about this then there's also another example that links back to some of what we did with Endava. So the Arcadia acquisition, we were obviously hoping to have procured, acquired the old Arcadia warehouse as part of the deal. That didn't happen till much later. So we've had to put a stopgap warehouse in place and we had six weeks to do that. So we had to work with very quickly on how we might do that. And the suggestion was that we build a warehouse adapter which basically converts the technology in the warehouse which is the old Arcadia Manhattan warehouse management system into something that the Boohoo systems upstream and all of our environment understands. So we spoke to the Indava team around whether they could build this warehouse adapter uh, five six weeks to do it literally code it build it um, test it, go live, so that we could get a, a stopgap warehouse operational while we move to the more strategic solution down the line. And it is quite interesting because, you know, the, the direction I gave in Dava is, guys, you, you know, you've got six weeks here. This isn't a strategic solution. It is a stopgap. And you need to be, you know, we need to be extremely quick, dirty, get it in. It just needs to do the job. And, you know, we we, we got there. We were literally testing the night before 
we went live and it, it has worked and there has been relatively no issues whatsoever. And the complexity, you know, Manhattan has lots of messages, some with over 500 fields. And we've had to translate that into messages that the Boohoo system would expect where, you know, we might only have 30 fields. So you're having to disseminate what's important, what's not important. Um, how would you actually make sure that your upstream systems gets the information and data it requires to be able to function, that the messages get sent back so you've got no errors. Um, so again, not necessarily a failure, but something that, again, we had to be extremely fleet of foot around once we got to the point of realising we were going to be using a non-strategic stopgap warehouse. It's really kind for you to give that example, Joe. And I think this helps underline uh, one of the questions you asked before, Kate, about uh, what does an agile retailer look like? And when you hear the CIO of one of the UK's leading retailers say, we just wanted a tactical solution that was just good enough to get us up and running, that's one of the big differences between an agile culture and a traditional kind of waterfall, build it best of breed, but it's always going to be late type of approach. I just want to also return back to one of the examples that Joe gave about EDI for some of the beauty brands. Um, so we work with some very large logistics companies. Uh, one of those examples is our relationship with Maersk, the shipping company. Um, and we help build them an automated solution uh, where manufacturers can use APIs to reserve shipments and, and use their services. Um, now, that started off with one particular manufacturer who was a bit more forward thinking and just said, we're not going to go into some web interface and get a person to enter the information on, on a web browser. We, we've got systems that behind the scenes want to talk to our logistics companies through APIs. So, we very quickly put together an automated solution that's actually been refined several times. And actually, there's some case studies out there which show that actually many of Maersk's customers now choose to use APIs. So if any beauty companies are listening to this podcast at the moment, when you've got someone like Boohoo saying, we'd really like to move on from EDI, please. Actually, where Joe might be saying it here and today, there are definitely going to be other retailers that are also asking for that behind the scenes. Bradley, maybe we can go a little bit deeper into this. It's interesting to think about how Boohoo is having to handle lots of legacy issues from all these businesses that they're acquiring. Can you tell us any more about how Indava helps with projects like this? Yeah, I mean, there's two elements to that. One is the integration, the technology integration, as, as Joe said before, with EDI. And yeah, we're using uh, some very old systems all the way through to companies like Boohoo, where their technology estate is, is relatively modern. But it also looks at the data as well. And uh, I think that's one of our key focuses at the moment is to try and focus on that user data as much as possible to understand what real world behavior really comes down to using artificial intelligence to try and give some foresight into how it might um, look in the future, that prediction. But it's really about how do you consolidate the data centrally to be able to do that predictive analysis for the future. All comes back to the data. Always. Do you have any tips for brands and retailers about how they can embrace technology whilst also doing their best to remain profitable or maintain profits? I would actually say that I don't think 
technology has ever been cheaper than what it is at the moment. Um, the, the fact that you can go onto pretty much any of the major cloud providers um, and spin up a service on a pay-as-you-go element to do some amazing massive number crunching for the next few hours is is a world of difference compared to certainly when I started my career and the mainframe that I started programming with cost more than probably the IT budget of some of the larger companies at the moment. We're seeing some amazing innovation across different industries at the moment. Um, uh, and one of the examples there is around voice, and that has a number of different elements. So we're now starting to get used to um, using Alexa, Siri, the weirdly named Google Home, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we're starting to get used to some voice commands. What we're also starting to see now, and we've been asked by a couple of companies, is around using voice on a playback mode. Um, so we're working on a proof of concepts at the moment where you might say to any of the uh, voice assistants that are out there, something like show me a gala dress with long sleeves, um, or even starting to use artificial intelligence to be able to say, show me the shirt that Brad Pitt wore in whatever movie. Um, and then playing that back as a voice command, but using voice synthesis. So as I say, we've got a, a couple of uh, customers at the moment looking at voice synthesis. So you might be able to emulate, uh, let's say, Victoria Beckham playing back, well, actually, there's this dress available here, and this is how I designed it, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that can be really interesting at that point. It sounds it. Having a chat with Victoria Beckham would be the highlight of my day, I think. <laughs> and maybe it comes back to timing as well. So if you time your technology investments right, then they're not a pure cost. If you time them right, they are an investment with a huge amount of return. Uh, definitely. Um, um, and we've seen a, a few different examples during the pandemic where retailers with many uh, bricks and mortar shops started using AI for the first time to work out what's the best way of producing the smallest number of garments to see what's going to sell so that we know how to produce it in, in future. And I think things like that are certainly helping with the answer to fast fashion you know, the, the alternative is you create thousands of different garments, send them to all of your different stores and cross your fingers and, and hope that it's going to sell well. Being able to prototype those. Well, I use the word prototype because I'm from a technology background, but be able to produce a small number of garments, put it into your online warehouse and see what sells is going to minimize the amount of wastage. And Joe, do you have any additional comments about this? Obviously, from a Boohoo perspective, does Boohoo ever have to balance its investments in technology with maintaining or boosting profitability? Is it ever a choice? Is it a choice? It's always a choice. I think it's a choice for, for every business. But again, back to that whole point around tech not existing in and of itself, it, it has to be there as a business enabler. Then you start to get into what's the value that the technology is going to bring to the business. Um, and, and like most, if not all organisations, you know, we, we, we do work on the basis of return, business cases, business benefits uh, and track to those. So you, you wouldn't invest in, in IT unless you could absolutely see the business benefit. And I think you know, we're, we're still a growing 
growing business um, and obviously when you start to bring acquisition brands on there has to be investment just by by nature of the fact that you're scaling the business and that you're using those acquisitions to hopefully take the business forward um, so so yeah so so I don't, I don't know that it's a trade-off because you know you kind of shouldn't be doing it unless there is absolutely business value I have a lovely example of that. We we work with um, one of our customers, um, and I just need to point out it's not Boohoo. Um, and that particular customer mandates that for every statement of work that we produce, we, as, as the technology provider, um, need to supply three metrics back to them. Number one is what, what data is this going to provide from a mobile handset? Secondly, is what user data is this going to provide? And the third is what is the return on investment? Now, sometimes there'll be a statement of work, I don't know, a security audit. It's really hard to say what the ROI will be from something like that. But as the um, as the suppliers, the tech partner to, to that customer, it's really interesting going through those three metrics from a contractual point of view before we start an actual project or um, start the next sprint and what have you as well. It gets everybody on board because sometimes we'll write those in conjunction with some other third parties involved as well. But it, it definitely gets us um, much closer to the business and helps people like Joe come up with that return on investment from an IT perspective. Now, Joe, Bradley's been talking about some different technologies. Can you tell us if Boohoo are exploring any of these things? I think one of the things that we didn't actually talk about when we did talk about pandemic and COVID is is I, I was chatting to some of the team earlier actually around innovation and I think that a lot of businesses are consolidating, working out what is really, really strategic? What what are the what are the things that are going to be those game changers for you in the business, uh, and almost driving those things forward rather than necessarily doing a whole raft of innovation badged as innovation at the moment. So you might do innovative things, but you're not necessarily going to be doing the things that I think historically you you might have done that was a bit more blue sky and a bit more in that innovation space. We are obviously looking at our platform and we are looking to move it to a headless platform, um, partly because you can plug in best of breed tools. So so rather than having a monolithic black box or a, a big in-house, fully integrated, complex system, what a headless platform will give you is that agility to choose the best in breed tools that make up a, a world-class uh, website. So be that the the augmented reality. I mean, um, you know, you've all you've all seen the things where um, you know you can try on hairstyles, you can try on clothes, you can try on nail varnishes, whatever. Um, but but moving to a platform that becomes this big enabler for the things that are out there in the market that you can plug in and and use for when that is popular, but equally take it out once it becomes old hat and and your customer base has moved on to the next thing. So for me, I think the the kind of a what's next innovation piece is again all around that flexibility and being able to take advantage of what is suddenly 
uh, you know becomes almost a market norm um we have we have obviously um added gamification into some of the sites um started with boohoo man for obvious reasons that demographics um you know very into that that gaming piece um and but again that's that's not necessarily bleeding edge innovation anymore it's just spotting what your customer might need um and and taking advantage of the fact that we can do it and our customers like it um you know and and we have put some on um some of the the female brands as well and they are actually extremely popular um but it's a reason to come to the site other than to shop um which which doesn't necessarily feel like it, the, the right mode of operating a bit counterintuitive but actually if they're visiting your shop they do tend to spot something that they might like many of us go window shopping we rarely come home without anything um but yeah so it's just it's just about spotting what the, where the, where the markets are going and and, and I, I probably wouldn't brand it as 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 big innovation pieces certainly not post post pandemic i think it's about consolidating doing the right things and doing the things that are going to drive real customer value absolutely yeah i think it's fascinating that you've run these 90 projects in the past year um i see boohoo as being one of the country's most or one of the world's most innovative businesses yet we're not using the word innovation here um so do you think innovation is a term that's maybe misunderstood, Joe. I think innovation is misunderstood. Um, I see making sure the business is a step of a, ahead of itself in terms of tech as my job, um, and, and I think that we've probably all become uh, we've probably all become a a bit more creative in how we operate I think that's definitely something over the last year um, and we as a business do a lot of right to left planning um, you know when we do take on the acquisitions we've invariably got a date that's been given to us that isn't our own so you do have to become creative and, and innovative in how you're going to respond to that without even badging it as hang on everybody I am currently being an innovative CIO make sure that goes under the innovative innovation bucket um, I, I think it just becomes the way of operating and I think it's probably um, part of just how IT needs to be in in a new world where agility product ownership agile ways of working working with partners um, responding to what is going on in the market in the environment is just your job and you probably deploy all your innovation skills just to make that happen without badging it as innovation um, and I think that's probably we were talking earlier um, around maybe um, organizations that you know have been around longer um, are probably a bit a bit more corporate in their approach and and that you know that that's probably where the whole let's let's have people thinking about innovation has been driven from because the the you know that they don't necessarily have the ways of working that just drive it by by your mode of operating yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing what you do next with all the brands that you've taken on and bradley i wondered whether there are any more interesting or unusual, surprising, non-obvious ways that Indava clients have adopted AI, machine learning, and or automation? What we are um, seeing at the moment is using AI from multiple different parties in a supply chain. So that might be a combination of retailer, manufacturer, and uh, the logistics supplier. So 
you start using the holistic data and the holistic user flow through that. We're also using AI in other areas around that that user journey as well to try and optimize um, how that checkout process works, especially when it comes to the the payment process. Um, and Dava is particularly big in in payments and helping to process that is is very important for us. And Joe, I'd love to ask you the same question. I just think I think all of that is just using your data. You can't do any of it without data. And you certainly need data to be able to do it effectively. And again, you know, we're probably a bit more creative and and there are things that are just inherent in our DNA and way of operating in that, you know, the, the business, like most businesses, is run on decisions that are driven by the data that's available so we're very focused on you know what what we're seeing in terms of traffic in terms of conversion in terms of um you know data in terms of what you buy in terms of what you rebuy so again we'd we'd very much start to drive it more towards you know that that whole analytics piece rather than necessarily badging it AI and machine learning. So, you know, help it to underpin the business in what they do brilliantly um, and so that they can do it even better um, rather than creating, um, you know, programs around AI and machine learning. You're very humble, Joe. You're, again, you're doing all these innovative things and not labelling it innovation. It's really interesting. And do either of you have a view on what, more we could get or retailers could get from AI and machine learning that we haven't yet seen retailers roll out? There's quite a long list, actually. And that's probably, um, we could go through this in in a whole podcast by itself. But I think some of the challenges um, for the retail industry as a whole, um, number one is around loyalty. We just don't see the same level of loyalty in retail as we do to let's say, financial services or certainly sport um, uh, or telco providers, et cetera. Um, That's something that we can definitely improve on. Also, I think garment sizing. I still think we're a bit behind the curve in the retail industry. You know, I remember seeing uh, Microsoft using their Xbox Connect device in, what was it, 2013, maybe, to try on clothes and then see which sizes that you'd need to, to order from an e-commerce store, um, you know, we're kind of eight years on from that and we're still not getting it right. And too many customers are still ordering multiple sizes and different uh, colors at once. And then knowing that we're going to be sending that back, something we're really trying to help go forward with, which I just don't think a conventional web browser really helps us with at the moment, is around product discovery. So, for example, when you go into a bricks and mortar shop, whether that's a supermarket and you're about to buy a bottle of ketchup um, and it's surrounded by different flavors, different sizes, certain promotions, new ingredients and, and what have you as well. We just can't seem to replicate that on on a web browser to say, hey, we've got this new product come here and and see it and and let's help promote it. And the same applies in the fashion industry as well. You go into a bricks and mortar shop, you will see new designs, new fashions being promoted there. It's really hard to do that in our traditional two-dimensional web browser like Chrome or or Safari, et cetera. 
And then the last one, which is more of a, of a technology first approach, is around drones. We're seeing a huge take up of drones inside warehouses. So it's kind of the unsexier side of, um, of using drones. So that's, you know, gone are the pickup trucks and what have you. And for moving pallets around, um, a lot of that can be automated. Uh, and then there's the last mile delivery for drones as well. But I think that's a little bit further off. Um, so, yeah, so we've got loyalty, garment sizing, product discovery and drones. Yeah. So a lot still to solve or optimize. Bradley, obviously Endeavour have worked with a whole variety of different clients across different sectors. Do you have any comments on some of the biggest learnings that fashion retail can take from other sectors, such as healthcare, grocery, or the financial sector? I think it comes back to loyalty. Um, I think one of the one of the big challenges to crack soon is how to retain the customers so they keep on coming back. Um, I speak to my kids. I've got um, three daughters and a son, and I constantly say, where was the last store that you ordered from? And it seems to keep on changing and revolving around quite a lot. They're also looking at um, re-commerce, which is a second-hand clothes as well and nearly new. I think that's something else which um, the industry needs to focus on a little bit as well. Um, but it's really, I think, it's all around that loyalty piece. Well, Joe, I know we talked about your rich career previously, but is there anything that you brought from your earlier roles you learnt in those roles that you were keen to implement in Boohoo when you joined? Yeah, I think I think it's about you know whilst we're agile, you do need governance, and it, but it's about absolutely having the right governance, and and also Boohoo is um, fast growing, extremely young company really compared to some of the others so for me one of the things that um, was, was certainly prevalent in my interview process was that scalability piece um, how businesses scale how you make sure that your tech is scalable uh, future-proofed etc so that whole having done it in 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 big corporates big IT you know what are the lessons learned um, and what do you bring that's appropriate to Boohoo recognizing that you know that we absolutely do not want to be seen as a corporate culture. Um, so, you know, it is about that, you know, horses for courses and what's the right things to bring, but certainly scalability and the ability to know what works in in those those large volume spaces was definitely something I brought with me. Joe Bradley, I'm sure we could continue talking for hours. We've covered a lot of ground and there's so much more we could have done, but we will have to leave it there, I'm afraid. That's all we have time for for today. But it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to my guests, Joe Graham at Boohoo and Bradley Howard from Indava, and to you for tuning in. If you want to hear more from Bradley Howard, Regional VP Retail Industry Acceleration at Indava, then visit www.theretailexchange.co.uk and search this episode. When you do that, you'll see a link to view Endeavour's free webinar, ASOS and Amazon, What Can We Learn From Them to Deliver Great Experiences, featuring Brian McBride, former Amazon Managing Director and Chairman of ASOS. So be sure to join us next time. You've been listening to The Retail Exchange, your industry podcast. I'm Kate Trotter. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter, hashtag retail exchange. Thanks for listening. <laughs>